This is Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge on News Talk 770 Radio, Calgary's breaking news and conversation station. Uh, in three days, Rogue One opens in theaters across North America. This is kind of a Star Wars prequel. I guess we could call it Star Wars 3.5, maybe. Uh, happens before the events of the movie take place before the events of the original Star Wars, which came out way back in 1977. Now, I was only three when the first Star Wars came out, but obviously I'm of the age where Star Wars was a huge, huge part of my childhood. Uh, I've got a son who's now 10, and certainly Star Wars has been a part of his childhood, uh, even though the prequels were, were pretty lousy. Uh, the Force Awakens was pretty good all things considered. And look, this is going to be big too. Seems as though people are pretty excited about Rogue One. I, I, the initial impressions anyway uh, have been favorable, those who have seen it. But why does this franchise endure? That's what I'm curious to explore here as well. Anyway, joining us for some some thoughts on all things Star Wars, very pleased to welcome to the program here today, Chris Taylor. He's an editor at Mashable.com. He's also author of the book, How Star Wars Conquered the Universe. You can find out more at HowStarWarsConquered.com. Chris, great to have you with us here. Welcome to the program. Thank you. It's great to be here. All right. Well, let's start with the obvious question, uh, because you've seen this movie. Is this a good movie? It's an excellent movie, uh, I would go so far as to say. Um, I was uh, I was trepidatious, but... Um, you know, it, it, it had to uh, hit a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of points here. And uh, it, it does sort of kind of uh, defer to the original Star Wars a little bit too much. There may be one or two, uh, many two references there. But um, but overall, it's a fantastic film. I absolutely loved it. I think uh, just about everyone will, will love this movie. Well, that's good. I'm glad to hear it because I, I hope it's good. We, we're all going to go see it. <laughs> <laughs> Even if the reviews are bad, but uh, we, we all want it to be good. Because you, you think back now and how people view the, the prequels, just that we mm-hmm. all wanted them to be good, and it's just it's such a lingering sense of, of disappointment that they weren't. And, and this is sort of, I think this is kind of the prequel that everyone wanted, really. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, right down to the, the appearance by Darth Vader, uh, you know, which is all everyone, anyone really wanted from the prequels to tell the story of Darth Vader, and then you only get it sort of, you know, in the last five minutes of episode three. But, um, but I think this regresses the balance there. All right. So no annoying kids, no Jar Jar Binks, <laughs> nothing like that, right? No, no Gungans <laughs> at all. But, uh, yes, a lot of surprises, um, you know. We, we can we can talk spoilers if you like, but, uh, you know, I, I prefer to stay clear yeah, on we'll, that. Yeah, we'll avoid that, um, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. Uh, safe to say expect to be surprised when you go to the it. All right. I like to hear that too. Okay. Well, mm-hmm. you know, I guess it, it's, it seems like a fair trade-off then if now Disney, uh, who, who owns the franchise, if they're going to keep squeezing money out of us, uh, we should demand that at least we be entertained in the progress, uh, in the process, because this, this is all about making money, right? It is, but it's also about, I mean, you've got to remember this, this is Lucasfilm, um, you know, it's still a subsidiary of Disney, and they operate with as much independence as Marvel does, mm-hmm. as, as Pixar does, uh, which is quite a lot. Um, my fellow Star Wars author, Timothy Zahn, likes to say that Disney's business model is they bring one dump truck of money, money up to <laughs> Lucasfilm and then come back next week 
uh, with two dump trucks to take the money back. And, you know, other than that, they don't sort of interfere in the creative process. So what we have here is a movie, you know, directed by a, a, a very smart guy, Gareth Edwards, who uh, did Godzilla. He did a low-budget movie that was well-received before that called Monsters. And he's he's kind of an auteur, this guy. You know, he's it's it's a good piece of almost independent filmmaking, you might say. And, and it really is an attempt to do something new with the Star Wars universe. It is a war movie in the style of Saving Private Ryan. Um, and it's, you know, it's a kind of Star Wars we've never seen before. So it's, you know, far from just a cynical attempt to take money out of our wallets, this is also an attempt to do something new and take the franchise in a new direction. Well, maybe in a way, maybe, you know, they've become less cynical because it doesn't seem mm. as though this is designed to, to sell merchandise. I, I think there was a lot in the original Star Wars movies that, that had that in mind. What, what's, you know, what can we sell to kids? What can we turn into action figures? What can we put on lunchboxes? And maybe there's less of that now. Yeah, I mean, you know, you've got to remember with, with the original movie, uh, as, as much as it certainly looked like that, in retrospect, uh, there were only two products that George Lucas ever had in mind when he was writing the thing. Uh, one was a uh, Chewbacca mug, uh, like the, the dog mugs they used to sell in the 70s. And uh, the other was a, uh, a cookie jar in the shape of R2-D2. Uh, yes. And, you know, and he squares up and down. That's all he ever thought of. No, really. Because nobody did movie merchandising in those days. You know, Star Wars true. Change the uh, change the whole deal. Though. Well, they changed a lot, and and you know and that, that's kind of the underlying question here. That here we are, almost forty years, forty years after the original movie came out, that it's still such a, a monster franchise. Why, why is mm. that? Well, I think it speaks to a certain need that we have for for myth, uh, and at the same time for excitement and adventure. I mean, it, Star Wars has always worked on so many levels, and. One of those levels is really that it works in your imagination after you leave the theater. I mean, we, we all remember seeing the original Star Wars and saying things like, I wonder what the, the Clone Wars were. Mm-hmm. You know, Obi-Wan talks about the Clone Wars and the original Star Wars for five seconds. And it just sort of creates this whole universe in your head as you try and make up, you know, well, what was that? What was he talking about? You know, uh, he, he describes the Force in just 28 words in the original movie. That's all we have to go on, and yet we, we almost create an entire religion out of that. <laughs> so it's, it's very economical storytelling, um, and it has a, a marvelous effect on our imagination. So I think that's why we love it. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot to that. Now, another question I wanted to explore, because this has come up certainly maybe more so around this movie, but it's come up before, the, the idea about whether the franchise is political. Uh, whether mm. there are political messages in Star Wars and whether there are in this movie. So where do you come down on that? Well, I uh, I wrote a very well-received story uh, a couple of weeks back called Star Wars is Political and Always Has Been, you know, in, in response to really the, the caution on Disney's part in terms of marketing this film uh, and the fear of a uh, boycott from um, Trump voters if they sort of uh, go with kind of the, the original ethos of Star Wars. Um, we got to remember that George Lucas, independent, San Francisco-based filmmaker with, you know, what you might call Northern California values, he, um, when he was doing the original movie, he thought that he was going to do uh, Apocalypse Now at the same time. He, he thought of himself as a political filmmaker. Vietnam was very much on his mind. Richard Nixon was very much on his mind. Uh, when he originally described the emperor in his early notes, 
he describes him as a kind of Richard Nixon character. And even when we when we finally see the Emperor in Return of the Jedi, uh, you know, he tells the actor Ian McDermott, you know, if you notice the, the shape of the Emperor's office, it just happens to be an oval, right? <laughs> you know, so there's, there's this subtle stuff that's going on, you know, very deep, a very deep undercurrent of politics, but it is there. You can certainly go to it and enjoy it without, you know, having to agree with George Lucas's progressive values. And obviously it was very popular in the Reagan era to the point where uh, the Reagan SDI initiative was named after Star Wars. Um, you know, and it, and it sort of had this sense that it's America is coming back and it's a, a celebration of America's military might, whereas, in fact, he was intending the exact opposite. He was sort of basing the empire on the U.S. military in Vietnam. So it's always had this very subtle political undercurrent. Um, and now, you know, so the, the, the timing of this movie is, is incredible in a, in a lot of ways. Um, because here, here we have this diverse band of rebels who uh, feel very defeated and uh, they, they have to take on, uh, you know, what is quite obviously a, a uh, fascist uh, empire. That, that has grown up out of a former republic. So, you know, you, you can take from that what you want, and you can get involved in the politics of it as much as you want, and, or you can just ignore it together, but it, altogether. But it, it's certainly there, um, and it's certainly how, how the whole thing started. But, yeah, people are being beat over the head with, with the politics, though. Does it, exactly. it seems more subtle then, in that sense. Yes, totally subtle. Yeah, right, you, so. can, you can just, you know, stay on the surface and have a great time and, you know, enjoy the movie and, and not delve any deeper into it. But that's that's certainly the history of it. Now you got Disney CEO uh, vehemently denying that that there's mm. anything political here. But as you say, maybe he's got other reasons for for saying. Yes, that. he's he's got shareholders <laughs> to report to, and he's also got industry analysts in Hollywood who are telling him that uh, you know you don't want to alienate 60 million voters by suggesting that this has any political slant whatsoever. But um, you know, then you also have 62 million voters on the other side who uh, who may may uh, feel some some comfort from this film. All right. Well, uh, I think the the embargo was lifted on on reviews today, mm. right? It, yes, it did. Uh, 9 a.m. Pacific time. Uh, I had two reviews go up on Nashville. One completely spoiler free, and one that delves into some more of the details of the film. All right. Well, as you say, more to Mashable.com, also HowStarWarsConquered.com. Chris, thanks so much for joining us here today. Appreciate it. Thanks very much. It was fun. All right. There you go. Chris Taylor, editor, Mashable.com, also author of the book, How Star Wars Conquered the Universe. Uh, currently on Rotten Tomato, score of 82% based on the initial reviews. So, Chris liked it. Not everybody does. There, there's some reviews suggesting maybe it could be a little more exciting. Uh, the Globe and Mail's critic here says, in the end, this hardening of the franchise seems likely to alienate both the fans and the uninitiated. But uh, New York Post says, Rogue One is definitive proof Star Wars is back, baby. Toronto Star says much more than a mere sideshow of the Star Wars saga these rivals build on a brilliant legacy. Uh, so, 82 is pretty good, but uh, suggests that, uh, you know, it's not universal praise. But uh, if we go off Chris Taylor, he says it's a pretty darn good movie.
All right, 403-974-8255 is a number. Uh, we can certainly talk Star Wars if you want to do that. We've got a few other stories to get to here as well. This is Afternoons on News Talk 770. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.